Welcome to the Perimenopause Power Podcast. We are Lisa and Natalie, two certified holistic health coaches passionate about helping women embrace their physiology to elevate their highest potential for confidence, health and energy. Perimenopause will be unique to you and each episode gives you the power in knowing that you can define your own journey. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Perimenopause Power. We are excited to bring you today's guest, Catherine Elliott, the alcohol mindset coach, because this is a topic that we feel really needs to have some more awareness and education about it. Lisa and I will often talk about alcohol consumption when we talk about whole health, nutrition, movement, mindset, even confidence, and also, of course, when we're educating women about perimenopause and menopause. It is usually met with a little bit of apprehension and a little bit of uncomfortableness because we know that particularly as Australians and even possibly across the world, that there is this culture of drinking and an acceptance around alcohol consumption. And of course, we are not anti-drinking in its entirety, but also we do advocate that it is something that is obviously done in moderation. So to introduce today's guest, Catherine Elliott, Catherine works as a certified This Naked Mind alcohol coach and has been living alcohol-free since July 1, 2019. As a former binge drinker for over 30 years, Kath coaches from lived experience and believes vulnerability and sharing our own stories is one of the most powerful tools in finding a more balanced relationship with alcohol. Kath works with men and women who want to look more closely at and change their mindset around alcohol. She offers a range of tailored programs, including mindful drinking and more specific change programs for binge and habitual drinkers. Kath lives in Melbourne with husband, Paul, their three teenage sons, and beloved Cocker Spaniel, Ralph. Welcome, Catherine, to the podcast. So, Catherine, what is an alcohol mindset coach? Ah, it's a big question, a big question, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and answer it as succinctly as I can. So, an alcohol mindset coach uh, in the area that I work in is I'm a trained, certified, this naked mind alcohol coach. So it's a certain methodology that I uh, trained in that is from America, which is really a science-based, compassion-led approach to looking mm. at uh, your relationship with alcohol. Um, all this naked mind coaches have had a lived experience of some sort of alcohol issue so they bring to their coaching this I guess this really compassionate lens of um, a real understanding of where their clients are at so that they feel you know held and accepted and and not judged uh, I guess and in terms of the niche that I work with I I don't um in my private business I don't have group coaching I, I it's one-on-one -on -one coaching generally with uh, professional men and women who identify as problematic binge drinkers and have, I guess, had this problem that's sort of crept up in their life over a period in time and it's now starting to affect their feelings about themselves, their relationships. Sometimes it's starting to impact their professional or work life. 
but often it's just that they are feeling ashamed, embarrassed, not in control and wanting to make changes to, to their relationship with alcohol. And, yeah, I have specific, I guess, one-on-one coaching programs that that address that. Mm-hmm. And I suspect given 2020 and 2021 that perhaps you've seen a huge increase in the number of people who have turned to alcohol. I know definitely, um, you know, friends and family who used it as a way to soften the blow but also relax and, you know, I, I remember um getting photos from friends at say two o'clock in the afternoon during the week they were making cocktails and I guess there was that element of fun and relaxation and and perhaps it really started off quite innocently in the beginning right because we had all this free time you know essentially inverted commas of not being able to do much but definitely there's been an increase from what we see and, and just from conversations of people just really turn to alcohol to get them through the last two years would you agree yeah. that that's what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And the reasons people were drinking became different, you know, particularly, you know, women were juggling uh, not only careers and working from home, but also those who were parents had, you know, had the majority of the homeschooling responsibilities put onto them. So it was an incredibly stressful time. Uh, And I think for everyone, you know, we're all, you know, in Melbourne here, it what you know being one of the most locked down cities in the world it was you know whoever you are it was a very stressful time and i think what's happened in society is a lot of we're taught that the way you cope with stressful situations is to have a drink uh, and if you're in a constant state of stress you start having a drink earlier um you start having a drink more often you're working from home, so you've got permission to have a glass of wine at 2 o'clock in the afternoon whilst you're at your desk. There's no one watching. Or else, you know, you might have a hangover the next morning, but, hey, you don't have to go into the office. So you can kind of turn up to um, the office at home not feeling the best. So lots and lots of different behaviours and patterns um, started occurring. And, you know, what I've, I'm starting to notice this year is, I'm now having clients or, you know, prospective clients reach out and say, oh, my gosh, my drinking, you know, I was a little worried about my drinking before COVID, but over the last two years I really have lost control. I actually can't stop or I don't know what to do or I don't know how to disrupt this pattern that I've got into. How incredibly sad. Mm. Um, so how, how did you get to this career chosen career path? Uh, just from what you're saying, there's a story there. Would you love to? Sh- we'd love you to share the story with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of, yeah, no, I'd I'd love to share share the story. So I guess the last three three and a half years, I've had a really you know a, I guess a transformational sort of experience in my life that started off with me looking at my own uh, binge drinking history. You know, I started drinking when I was 14 years old as a teenager and like most sort of Aussie teenagers did lots of excessive drinking on weekends Uh, and into my sort of 20s I was still drinking a lot and as a female I was given you know I guess a lot of positive affirmation by uh, the male friends that I had that I was a good drinker and that I was a you know um, I could sort of 
I was a big drinker and a good drinker. And so I had this positive affirmation. And so it became really part of my identity. And I continued to binge drink all the way through 20s, 30s, 40s. I mean, I had children in that time and I didn't drink really during my pregnancies. And I also found it easy to stop for extended periods of time. So I'd often have, you know, a month off, two months off. Uh, So I never really thought that I had necessarily a problem with drinking. But in the back of my mind, I was really worried about some of the impacts of my drinking. Like I'd black out. I wouldn't remember certain parts of the night. I would say things that I would later regret. And so this all just built up over time. The other issue for me was that when I was looking out to other people in my social groups, there are a lot of people who were drinking excessively like me. So I sort of thought, oh, okay, this is, is this normal? Is this kind of just what people do? So I guess there were a couple of incidents that happened where I just really were really game changing for me. One was at my brother's wedding where I had been going through a few stresses in in my life, in my marriage and uh, financially. And I just drank a lot very quickly at my brother's wedding. I was part of the bridal party and I said some things to my mum that were really not okay. And I just woke up the next morning. I couldn't really remember and I really regretted it. And so that really stuck in my mind that my drinking and my behaviour was really starting to affect relationships that, you know, meant something to me. And then a few years later, uh, my sons saw me in a very, um, you know, a, a very precarious position when I was extremely drunk. I fell and hit my head and that was pretty much, that was it for me. I woke up the next morning in a lot of shame and embarrassment and I remember sitting, we are on a family holiday, I remember taking myself to the beach early in the morning and I looked out to the horizon and I made a promise to myself that I was going to take an extended break from drinking. I had to reset my habits. I had to really look at what was going on. And I didn't completely stop drinking right then, but I never had a binge again. And I guess it was probably, that was in the April and on July the 1st of that year, I I decided to take an extended break from drinking. That was in 2019. And here we are today and I haven't had a drink, haven't had a drink since. So that's nearly three and a half years. But of course, with everything, I was then thrown a curveball six weeks later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that was then another huge trauma um, in the early days of and again, I don't use the really like using the word sobriety because I didn't feel like I had to get sober but in the you know the first six weeks early on as I was choosing to embrace an alcohol free life and this provided another layer of oh my gosh breast cancer diagnosis at the age of 46 what does this mean you know I didn't have a family history of breast cancer I wasn't uh post-menopausal I was fit healthy ish active but the one thing, the one question that came to my mind was, well, the one lifestyle factor that hasn't been, uh, I don't think, very healthy has been my drinking. And that's when I started to ask questions between the links between alcohol and breast cancer because I didn't know. 
Uh, I didn't know the direct links. I hadn't really seen any public health campaigns about it. I hadn't had anyone, any health professionals ever really talk to me about my drinking or the links to breast cancer. So I started to do my own research and that's when I started to uncover some really yeah, interesting facts uh, as well as I started to have conversations with other women just anecdotally. Did they know that you know alcohol consumption does cause breast cancer? And pretty much no one did. And yeah, and I have found that myself actually. Um, I had a I'm 52 and I had a breast cancer scare when I was 40. And it, you know, I always looked after myself, but even after that, that really catapulted me into doing the same thing, just researching more about it and, you know, what other lifestyle changes I could be making as well. Um, but the connection between um, alcohol and breast cancer has just blown me away. And I, I'd love, I, you, know, I, you know, I've had a great look at, you know, you've got a great website and you've got some fantastic um, statistics there. And I was just wondering if maybe you could touch on some of those statistics in, in relation to educating or just making our listeners more aware of what, what that looks like. Yeah, sure. And look, I will preface it by saying that, you know, the statistics that I'll mention today, are, you know, are from my own research. So I haven't done, you know, I'm not a medical expert, sure. or anything like that. But this is, there's a fantastic uh, website uh, that's based out of America called drinklessforyourbreasts.org. So we might pop those in in the show notes. Mm. Um, so people can go and have a look at, look at it, because that's where I went for a lot of my um, my information and there are all the statistics that they provide there are linked back to peer-reviewed uh, studies, which is really important, I guess. And the, the campaign in America is actually targeted at younger women because what some of the research is starting to show is that drinking in the age, I guess, so when you get your first period to if you have your first child, so first pregnancy, obviously if you don't have a pregnancy, it, it might be slightly different, that the drinking that you do in that period of life uh, can have quite an impact on later breast cancer risk, which is interesting. And mm -hmm. I know that that drinking kind of period in my life would have been very excessive and, and quite heavy in terms of binge drinking so it is interesting that they are starting to do some focus on that area and they're also targeting younger women with this breast cancer and alcohol uh, message but I guess you know simply I mean every drink you have increases your breast cancer risk you know full stop and every drink you choose not to have decreases the risk and it's not excessive drinking so um, you know I guess as little as one or just over one standard drink a day can increase your overall breast cancer risk by, you know, between 15 and just over 20%. So that's, wow. that's significant. Um, you know, one in 10 cases, and this is at a minimum, I guess, of breast cancer is directly linked to alcohol consumption in Australia. So that's over a thousand cases, uh, a year and probably a lot more and only one in five women you know is is aware of the link between alcohol consumption and breast cancer and that comes from some recent research uh done i think out of monash health and turning point so 
know, I think those, you know, those figures are really interesting. I mean, breast cancer obviously is in women one of the most highly kind of diagnosed cancers. 20,000 women in Australia per year are diagnosed with breast cancer. One in seven women will experience breast cancer in their lifetime. So it seems unusual that we haven't had a a very targeted public health campaign around Mm. this issue, given drinking is a lifestyle factor that we do have control over. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, very true. Mm. And I'm just going to say my mind goes to, um, you know, that research around HRT and, you know, the heightened awareness around how HRT you know, they, it was reported back then it was causing breast cancer and the fear and still the fear today, even when there's been, you know, so much more research done and, and awareness. And, you know, I remember speaking to someone recently and we were talking about HRT and, and she said, oh, I don't think I'd go on that because of, you know, the breast cancer. I don't want to get breast cancer. But again, it's it's what we are um, fed and shown in the media and I guess where the attention goes, isn't it, that that's where we sort of think, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that because I don't want to get breast cancer. But we don't ever come back to those very simple lifestyle factors in not just alcohol, but even we talk about food as well and lack of movement, um, you know, stress, all those very simple lifestyle things that we have control over and can change actually have such a greater impact on um, our health, our long-term health, and whether we do get um you know, cancer or other chronic diseases down the track. Yeah, such, I mean, such great points there. And, I mean, I think, and I, I don't know what the exact statistics are, but I think, you know, that the conversation around, you know, HRT and cancer and alcohol and cancer is you're much more likely to get breast cancer if you're drinking alcohol than you know, if you are, are having some sort of, um, you know, HRT. But in a lot of people's mind, they don't look at their use of alcohol um, and they're really, really worried about going on HRT. So you're right. Um, The media has got, you know, a very, I guess, a role to play here. And there is, you know, there is evidence uh, that women are really confused about the information that comes out because they see a lot of pinkwashing of certain, um, I guess, people and brands around fundraising for breast cancer uh, and they, like, they might say you know I was reading recently you know Kylie Minogue is promoting a bottle of is promoting a brand of, of wine and I know there's an alcohol-free wine that she's promoting but she's also promoting some you know obviously uh, alcoholic wines as well and Kylie is you know a very well-known figure who's had breast cancer so people will just make assumptions and think oh well if Kylie's doing it it mustn't be that bad and really you know there is a responsibility here uh for uh for people to actually be given the information that yes okay this is being promoted but just so you know alcohol causes breast cancer you need to know that um and it's not put out there you know in that in those specific terms and and I can't help but think, and I knew this already, but uh, I'm just, you know, um, reading some information on your website and um, just, you know, we've connected through LinkedIn is it's just that, you know, that one drink can make such a difference and it can be, 
um, you know, that can be the catalyst to it. And yet, you know, we, we might celebrate, you know, someone beating a breast cancer diagnosis and getting over it, then what's to say and we're having a drink and they might go back to drinking and then you sort of think, well, what's that do for their chances in, in you know, in it possibly coming back? And that's probably something that, um, you know, resonates really loudly with myself. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's it's about empowering yourself with informed choices. Mm. And I guess for me that's what I saw it as. It was not trying to guilt myself about previous behaviour or even to make mm. other people feel guilty about their drinking, but it's about recognising that we've probably, uh, you know, if alcohol was now, um, you know, if there was a submission to have alcohol approved by the TGA now, there's no way it would get through. It's a Class A carcinogen, it's ethanol, it's poison, it's really not great for us. Uh, and so, and I know a lot of us don't want to be made aware of that fact, but that's, you know, it gets dressed up as this, you know, pretty romantic, sexy sort of drink, you know, that helps us relax and have fun. But when you when you strip it back, it is, you know, a, a really a really toxic substance. And what happens is when our liver breaks it down, it turns into an even more toxic substance, you know, acetaldehyde, which breaks down and causes a lot of DNA damage. So, um, yeah, I think it would be great if people had the information, you know, more knowledge around alcohol and what actually does to our body, our brain, our emotional regulation, our judgment, you know, yes, breast cancer and many other cancers, but even on a day-to-day level, there are a lot of people who are living in, you know, states of kind of anxiety, stress. They drink because they think it actually helps relieve stress, but really what's going on um, underneath is it is creating a lot more stress in the body, releasing a lot more cortisol and adrenaline. And, of course, particularly for, you know, perimenopausal menopausal women it can significantly you know increase some of the the symptoms uh that they are already having you know include you know hot flushes um mood swings and as we get older we we're not as able to metabolize alcohol either so we might get a lot more affected by alcohol than we have in the past as well and it may stay in our body for longer, which again is not a great thing in terms of, you know, I guess cancer risk and and other things like that. It's interesting, you know, because I had a um, in um, and before we started this conversation, I mentioned to you that I'm, I'm not I've never really been a big drinker, and um, but I did have a, a situation or not a situation. I had something in May this year. I was at a, a friend's fiftieth, and um, I'm the person that takes along my own drinks because I'll, I'll just choose to, you know, I don't really want to have a, much of a drink. And, but anyway, I got thrust this champagne into my hand. She said, I'll just drink it. It's my 50th. I just want to, you know, so, and that was fine, you know, so I had a little glass of champagne. Well, seriously, the hot flushes that I experienced that night were ridiculous. And I can still remember them. They're the, they're the, the, ter- the most terrible ones I've experienced. But then the next day I felt like I'd been hit by a bus and I did, even the day after it was really amazing just how long it's the effects seem to stay in my body. 
And it really, um, you know, I, I sent them all a message saying, I'm never drinking champagne again because I just feel like I've been hit by a bus. So you know, not to say that I won't have a drink uh, still, um, but um, it's just really interesting to acknowledge and understand what it's doing to your body. And that was just, you know, half a glass for me. Mm. So, you know, so as we age, obviously you've hinted on it. It's, you know, we, we need to be aware of our alcohol consumption at any age, but it becomes even more important to assess or look at or re-look at as we age and get and, and, and get older. Yes, def- I mean, definitely. And, you know, it's a, its impact on our quality of sleep is huge as well. So mm. sleep yeah. as a as a as a pillar, you know, and look, for me, I think it's probably the most important, you know, pillar in in a healthy lifestyle is getting good quality sleep. And I've noticed because I was put into menopause by um, having therapy. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, I haven't had too many detrimental effects, but one of them has been the effect on my sleep. I just don't sleep as well. I don't sleep as long either. You know, I, I, I wake up a bit during the night, but I hate to think how bad my sleep would be if I was drinking because drinking basically interrupts our REM sleep cycles. Yeah. So we don't get nearly as many and it's vital for us to have those sleep cycles um, to really get that restorative, nourishing healing. Mm. Now imagine the cumulative effect. If you're drinking most days, the cumulative effect of not having that sleep day in, day out, night in, night out, um, on your longevity and your health over time. And so that's the other thing, you know, I really like to say this choice of reducing alcohol uh, or choosing not to drink is also uh, a really fantastic choice for, you know, as you get older, for better quality living, living longer, um, living, uh, I guess for me, I feel a lot more engaged, a lot more clear-headed, a lot more at ease in my own skin, a lot more connected to myself. I'm better at um, creating boundaries uh, because I'm not foggy, I'm not, hungover and it's a much more intentional way of living uh that's what I've noticed for myself Mm, mm, yeah most definitely I think too there's that whole education around society as well and you've touched on it too that you know there's an expectation that you know we should drink and if you don't drink there's something wrong with you or you're antisocial and and I can say you know I um haven't been a big drinker you know I had I had my stint in my 20s I used to have great times but uh, I then I got into running and and started marathon running and you know, you can't drink and train for a marathon. And that still blows people's minds. You know, even this year, someone said to me, oh, so you don't drink when you train? I said, no, I, I, I very will not touch it, you know, unless there was a special occasion, I might have a drink. But even then this year, I had a, a 40th and I think I had one drink. And I thought, no, that's it. I'm, I'm done. But um, yeah, there's that whole expectation of, it, you know, you're a better person when you drink or you're more fun or you're more sociable. So, so much education from that, from a societal perspective. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And it it also comes into, you know, corporate culture in Australia as well. There's a lot of expectation uh, about being part of this drinking culture, socialising and, you know, you do business over lots of drinking. 
And so I think there really is a responsibility, you know, for employers uh, to start to change the way they approach, uh, you know, office end-of-year parties. You know, the, the level of alcohol that sometimes is served at those is just ridiculous. It shouldn't be. The focus shouldn't be on getting drunk and drinking too much. The focus should be on another activity and enjoying, you know, time with, uh, the people that you work with, uh, but too often, you know, excessive drinking will then cause, you know, terrible things to happen at these at these at these events and parties. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping uh, that we will start to start to see shifts, and we definitely are with that. You know, the, the category um, of growth in terms of you know this alcohol free drinks category, like it, it's 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 really skyrocketing um, and I think it's equity- great there's some fantastic options out there I, I you know there's I'm currently fixated on one by strange loves court it's a jalapeno and lime with soda water it is the best it's that so good good I love yeah, it really nice. that sounds yeah. really good yeah so um yeah and look we've connected and on one of our earlier podcasts with Nicole Avery um who who's run a um a meal planning and a business uh, podcast uh, for many, many years. And she's actually created her own drink called um, Adapt Drinks. And um, they're fantastic. And the podcast is really enlightening as to why she came about it. And, you know, she talks about that wino clock that she wanted to help other women with in relation to um, what she's put into the drinks also to invoke a nice, you know, stress less response or relaxing response as well and it's a great product so you know and she's just one of many and now we we see a lot of these fantastic non-alcoholic bars opening up as well and it blows you away when you go in there and think wow look at all these choices and for me I think what I've determined is I love the bubbles so the soda water and I love the botanicals so you give me that and I'm happy as Larry so yeah it's interesting yeah, and there's some great, you know, botanical non-alcoholic options. Yes. Now, there's a company called Monday that makes some really, yep. really delicious tasting ones. Um, and, you know, Liars is another one that makes mm-hmm. some really good botanicals. And so I think we're going to see the, this category really explode because you don't have to be a non-drinker to explore this category as well there are some people now who are deciding to maybe have one or two alcoholic drinks but then they'll go and choose some alcohol free options because they're driving or they don't want to drink too much and so I think it's great to have these options so that you know there's a there's kind of this I feel like there's this focus at the moment on you know drinking less or being sober curious is really becoming a, a bit of a trend and people are thinking you know what there's something in this for me. Uh, and, you know, I often say to clients, they get to a point where they've um, started changing their relationship with alcohol and it's really starting to feel pretty amazing. And a lot of what they'll notice is they'll say to me, it actually feels like a superpower to be like this. I didn't realise that I would feel this good. And until you take it out, you don't realise and that's the thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is this is so true. And it gets better and better and better um, as you feel more healthy yourself and feel more clear-headed. Uh, it 
it, it just means you expand the possibility of what you can achieve as well in your life. Mm. And it's like that whole thing too. You don't know what you don't know, but mm. then once you do know, it's hard to unknow, right? <laughs> I know there's a lot of no's there, but it's yeah. just like us with health and, and well-being and eating well and moving your body and, and learning, you know, learning from you, Catherine, you know, around alcohol and breast cancer. It's hard to unknow what you know. And when you make an intention for yourself to live your best life and want to live a long, healthy life and, and show up to yourself and those around you as your best self, you know what that takes, um, you know. So it's, it's yeah, there's so much to be gained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's, that's you know, such a beautiful kind of reminder. And I know for me, you know, having had the breast cancer diagnosis and going through the treatment, it was a real wake-up call to me that, you know, things in life can change so quickly and that, you know, living is an actual privilege. You don't just get it. You know, it just it's not just there for you. Sometimes it can be taken away from you. And, you know, there are plenty of people, I just turned 50 this year, but there are plenty of people who do not get to live to their 50th birthday. And so rather than taking it for granted, you know, step into life, engage, be present, uh, you know, we, we, we have all got an opportunity to passionately lead, um, lead a purpose-driven life. And I guess for me, that's what became really highlighted. Uh, and that when you're excessively drinking or drinking regularly, it takes you away from being present in life because you're always thinking about drinking or recovering from drinking or it, it, it actually takes up a lot of energy that you don't even realise it's taking up until it's moved. Mm. Oh, that's so powerful. I love that. And um, I've got one more question to actually mm. ask you, and it's a lovely um, segue into it. So um, our, our podcast is all about power and finding and nurturing and using our personal power as we transition through life phases and into perimenopause, which obviously, and menopause, which saw you go into it early as a result of your diagnosis. So I'm just wondering if you um, can maybe tell us what does coming into your power mean to you, given everything you've just told us about and the experiences in life that you've had? Well, it means putting myself first, which might sound really simple, but as, as a female who juggles many roles, who has three teenage sons and a husband and a dog and many other interests, you know, uh, brothers. And I, I think there's there was a lot of people pleasing and a lot of not really establishing boundaries around what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me that is what coming into my power has been about choosing me but also communicating my boundaries respectfully and with love. So not communicating my boundaries with judgment or, um, you know, dismissiveness of others. It's just about being really honest and genuine with who I am and what's important to me and living life according to my own values and what they are and not letting anyone else push me around on those. And I guess that's where my power is. And it's also about being very intentional about how I choose my time and who I choose to spend my time with. And also making sure that I take time to just be, you know, I've got this, this practice now every year where I will book in 
it might be two or three times where I'll go, I call them mini breaks, you know, like four, four nights where I'll go on a retreat with some other women, not, Generally, I like to go on my own, not with people I know, so I can shut off, shut down, nurture myself, be whoever I want to be, and just step back from my life and work out, okay, how am I? What's going on with me? What am I going to create in this next burst of six months? And, you know, is there anything that I need to address? Is there anything that I'm not feeling good about? So that then I can come back, you know, with with good grounded energy and yeah, just be the best that I can be for the other people in my life. Mm. Wow. That, um, that ticks a lot of our boxes in, in relation to what we talk about constantly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, that, that that whole values piece is just so mm-hmm. critically and vitally important. And particularly as we get older and, you know, when you transition through perimenopause also, you know, there's so much going on internally physically mentally emotionally that it is so important and you know one thing I always say to women who always question putting themselves first it's around you know um it's about knowing that you know you can fill your cup and give to those around you from a full cup as well and be present with yourself in what you need because you know you're just as worthy as everybody else around you too yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really true. And I think often, you know, as we're going in, when we're in our twenties and thirties, sometimes we don't realize this about ourselves. And I think that's the piece that I really like about turning 50 and coming into my 50s. I actually do really value my life experience and the wisdom that I've gathered from that. And I think I have a lot of wisdom to share. And I think that's a really, it's a beautiful place to be in because. It, it does come, it comes from challenges, it comes from pain, it comes from joy, it comes from all the emotions. But I think as women, we've got, we're, we're such great storytellers, we're such, we're fantastic in community and connecting. And, you know, now that I am in sort of menopause, I'm really, it's, I'm really passionate about us having these conversations about how we're traveling through it because it's not just a, a one month thing and then we're through. It can be a 10 year or more process. And, you know, I've got some friends who are really struggling through perimenopause at the moment, you know, having kind of quite depressive thoughts, feeling really angry feeling really out of sorts with the people that they are. And it's not until they start speaking about it that they realise this is actually, these are symptoms of perimenopause. Uh, And then they're kind of like, oh, you know, thank goodness I know and I can go and speak to someone and and get some support. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, we we do talk about that acceptance of understanding, you know, those symptoms and what you're going through. And, And sometimes it is just about, that I just need to be for the moment and just um, function through it and let it go, but then also seeking the education that comes with it so that they can keep navigating it in a more positive way. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, our bodies are changing as well as we're going through mm. um, through perimenopause. I mean, I know for me have going through it earlier, you know, I started to notice changes in my skin, you know, consistent, like more kind of, I don't know, cellulite or whatever you want to call it. And for a while there, I was like, oh, yuck, you know, I don't mm. like this. But now I'm kind of like, 
you know what, just lean into it. It's beautiful. It's part yes. of who you are. You're alive. Um, be, be um, you know, really nurturing of this beautiful body that's taken you through 50 years of life. And, you know, the other thing I'm really passionate about is, and look, I, each person to their own, if you want to go and have, you know, surgery, Botox, whatever, really I'm so happy for people if that makes them feel better. But I also think there's nothing wrong with embracing the beautiful wrinkles and ageing that we have as we get older um, and that that is beautiful as well. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Beautifully said. Where can our listeners connect with you, Catherine? Uh, so my website is uh, thealcoholmindsetcoach.com and that is also my Instagram handle uh, at thealcoholmindsetcoach. Beautiful. Fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. We've both really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, I've loved it, Nat and Lisa. Thank you so much. A really, really um, yeah, interesting conversation. Thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. Thanks again for sharing your time with us, learning how you can be your best energetic self no matter what life stage you are going through. Be sure to contact us if any of this content resonates with you. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. See you next time.